back again to the Bad Quaker Podcast, where liberty is our mission. Today is Tuesday, January 29th, 2013. This is podcast number 268, and my name is Ben Stone. Uh, over the last weekend, I recorded a interview with Davi Barker, the, uh, also goes by the name The Muslim Agorist on the Internet. If you've been uh, listening to recent podcasts, you'll know that uh, my wife and I are traveling in our motorhome throughout the South, and our connection is not always the greatest. And the particular recording you're about to hear, as I've said on several of these, uh, the recording that you're about to hear has a lot of flaws, and the connection came and went. Pro- this is probably the hardest time that I've had recording any of these uh, podcasts. Um, but Davi and I uh, attempted to stick with the topic as as much as possible. And so what you're about to hear is basically the best we could do in trying to get uh, through a podcast with a, uh, with a really bad connection. So here we go, uh, Davi Barker on the Bad Quaker Podcast. And with me on Skype is Davi Barker. Um, I'm going to read the little uh, thing that I wrote about Davi for the, the, the goes on the back of his uh, dust cover of his book uh, because I think it's I think it's really a good introduction to Davi to Davi if you're not familiar with him. Davi Barker is a writer, an artist, an activist, but more importantly, Davi is a testimony, not a shallow testimony of words, but a testimony of life dedicated to truth and peace in the rejection of evil. His dedication stands strong in, the wor- in a world where the enemies of truth and peace distort the meaning of every word and phrase to suit their desires. But no matter the opposition he faces, Davi embraces the principle that there shall be no compulsion in religion. And Davi shouts by example and not by words alone that the greatest jihad is proclaiming the truth in the face of a tyrant. Davi, welcome to BadQuaker.com. It's an honor to have you on the show. Hi, Ben. Yeah, I was really touched by that when you wrote that. Uh, just in case some people who hear me say that are a little confused by that one magic word that throws fear into the hearts of the world, uh, can you give me an, a definition for the word jihad? Because that was a quote from uh, that, that actually that I stole from you. But uh, can, you, can you clarify that word and tell my listeners exactly what the word jihad means? Yeah, that wasn't a quote from me. That's a quote from the Prophet Muhammad. The Prophet Muhammad said that the greatest jihad is to speak the truth in the face of a tyrant. So um, that is one of my favorite sayings of his. And uh, the word jihad, it, it just means struggle. And so if you're in a physical confrontation, people use that term. But in a religious context, it also means to struggle with yourself and to struggle with your principles and and I mean, like it, it means struggle in every sense of the term. So, really, anyone who seeks the truth in their life 
is in a jihad then. Yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes it's important to take words that the state has distorted and uses to, you know, to harm people with and, uh, and use them in their proper context and just throw it right back in the, in the face of the state and say, no, we're going to use this word for what it means because, you know, uh, the state attempts to steal words like that and distort them and use them to its own purposes. But this is a good thing, not a bad thing. Yeah, I like to say the state is a terrorist organization that hijacks words instead of planes. Yeah, I like that. That's a good one. Now, um, let's jump into right. In, let's jump right into talking about your movie because that's a pretty big event that's coming up. The name of the movie is uh, uh, Silver Circle. Right. And you guys have been working on it for a while, and this is going to be a big production. This is a, you guys have really put some effort into this. Yeah, it's been about four years in production. And I've been on the team for about a year and a half, so I'm not I'm not a writer. I'm just uh, I I maintain the blog and I do some I maintain some of their online presence and stuff. Um, but it's a really I mean we're all really excited to see it because I mean we even had uh, sort of a an unfinished sneak preview at Porkfest last year. So everyone's kind of excited. I don't know how much uh, I don't even know how much you know about it. Do you have you have you followed it at all? No, I have uh, I have some outside knowledge of it. I saw the cartoon, uh, the the comic book version that's floating around, but uh, but I was kind of wanting to wait and see the whole thing at one time, so I got the whole you know the whole impact, which I'm going to see at the at the uh, premiere showing in in New Hampshire real soon. Yeah, it's um it's going to be we're kind of kicking off Liberty Forum this year with the screening. It's uh it's going to be at a theater in uh, Nashville called Chunkies, and we're providing transportation to people who uh, bought tickets. But yeah, I mean, if you've seen, if you've seen the, the comic book, the, the, it's essentially the same. It's, um, it's an animated film. It's sort of about a band of rebels who've come together to sort of fight the Federal Reserve in a sort of dystopian, not-so-distant future. And when we say um, words like now, we've already got a couple here that are going to flag the the uh, um, <laughs> the word police. The central but when we scrutinizer. St- yeah, central <laughs> scrutinizer, as, as Michael and Nima would say. Um, when we use words like fight and attack and jihad and things like this, um, you know, uh, well, I'll let you define uh, what 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 goes on in the movie um, and clarify the difference maybe between aggression self-defense and and what we see in the movie what we will see in the movie sure well i mean the movie is not intended to be sort of ideologically perfect uh the the characters are sort of flawed and uh they're supposed to be sort of real so it's not like it's not like uh like a randian pantheon of perfect mortal characters so there is um there's some gunplay in the film i mean it's an action movie uh but the the central strategy of the rebels is alternative currency which is, um, you know, it's the idea that you don't have to necessarily end the Fed. You can just ignore them and go about your business in another currency. Although it's illegal in the world of Silver Circle, they make possession of silver a crime uh, in 2016. So, uh, so that what's that? I was just going to say that's not all that far. That's not that all uh, all that uh, uh, you know unrealistic. That has happened, can happen, and very well might happen or could happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, they've done it before. So, I mean, it's not outside the realm of possibilities. In the movie, they sort of do a bait switch because usually laws are a bait switch and they legalize marijuana while simultaneously criminalizing precious metals. 
you know, that seems to always be the way with laws that they'll they'll put something in the in the earmarks somewhere to please some special interest so they can get away with whatever tyranny they're trying to cram into it. I can't remember which economist I was interviewing last year that basically and he had no knowledge of what we're talking about here, uh, you know, the movie, but he basically presented that as a very likely scenario that they would use uh, the legalization of marijuana as an excuse to crack down on on other fields. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's funny when we we we, we go to comic book conventions to promote the film and you have people that look at us and they say, well, this is more like a documentary than, <laughs> than like a thriller, because, I mean, the central the central aggression that happens in the film is that the Federal Reserve sort of gives birth to another agency called the Department of Housing Stability. And when we when they first wrote the film, that was sort of outside the realm of possibilities. But in the last four years, we've absolutely seen the seen the Federal Reserve attempt to regulate home prices. So it's sort of like we predicted it in a way. Uh, yeah, and uh, regulating home prices would probably be something that would be really easy to sell to the public. Because people love price controls, uh, you know, on on price and wages. They like price controls in any kind of emergency, disaster type situation. And people in big cities love those rent control laws. Yeah. Um, this so is a little more tyrannical than that. It gets to the point where they're actually regulating the supply of homes. And the way the only way to do that is, of course, to evict people. Yeah, you know, even now with the with the the mortgage crisis, I mean, that was absolutely something that's sort of central to the to the state playbook right now. Uh, do you have any idea how many, uh, if, if other than the the premiere, do you do you know how uh, distribution of the movie is going to be made and and how uh, it might be um, got out there to the general public? Yeah, well, we're aiming for a general theatrical release, so we've sent copies of the film out to theaters around the country, hoping that they'll play them. Um, we've started we've started booking screenings in uh, five or six major cities. I know uh, Los Angeles and New York are sort of high on our list. All right, we'll just take right back off again. I'm not sure how much of that we got. Uh, so we're looking at a theatrical rela- release. When did you say? Okay, are you there now? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, it, it dropped us back out again. Um, we're aiming for a general theatrical release. So we've sent copies of the film out to a number of theaters and distributors to try and get it to show. And uh, we're also uh, currently booking in theaters in five or six major cities. Uh, I can't really announce details yet, um, but like Los Angeles and New York are big on our list. We're aiming for Phoenix. So we're, we're really aiming to go big. And then once once the theatrical release is finished. We're going to do online sales and DVDs and probably uh, like a downloadable version, the whole deal. So uh, we're aiming for as large an audience as possible. Now you've uh, you're also an artist in addition to everything else that you are. Uh, yeah. Did you have anything to do with the art in the in the film? Um, not in the film, uh, but pretty much all the stuff you see online, whether it's the web banners or flyers or some of the T-shirt designs or I'm kind of doing the, the the print media for the company. You did some stuff for um, uh, Shire Silver, and you designed a uh, a gold uh, uh, one of the Shire Silver cards with gold inside of it, and I have one of those. It's kind of a prized possession of mine. Oh yeah, yeah. I did uh, I did the Muslim for Liberty Shire co-branded cards, 
And then I also do a lot of Don't Tread on Memes uh, Silver Dime cards. Tell me, this is not on the topic of the movie, but tell me just uh, uh, from from your knowledge um, why it's important to use actual uh, you know, hard commodities as money rather than just somebody's scribbling on a paper and trust? Well, I mean, the primary reason is that it can't be manipulated by a third party. If, if you and I are engaged in commerce, just you and me, that's a, that's a private transaction. And, and, you know, you have something that I want and I have something that you want and we determine a price sort of privately. But if you're using something that's tied to this sort of central controlled system, then tomorrow a third party can change the value of the thing that I gave you. And that means that in a way we've both kind of been defrauded. So, for example, I don't know if you've heard about this, but Paul Krugman and some of the other sort of court economists are talking about minting trillion dollar coins to get ourselves out of uh, national debt or out of the – the fiscal cliff anyway. And um, they tell us that they can mint trillion dollar coins and that that won't cause inflation. But that's insane. So essentially, if, if they start doing, I don't think they're going to do it because it's such a ridiculous idea. But if they were to, that would cause radical inflation. And then suddenly the money that you and I were using for commerce would be worth less. But the gold and silver or whatever else is sort of based on an intrinsic value is going to continue to hold the value from one day to the next. And this creates an illusion to people. Uh, you mentioned you mentioned inflation there. What this does, it creates an illusion to people that prices are going up, that, that there's something wrong in the market with, with the prices of goods and services. That the, you know, but, but that's looking at it on the opposite end. You're seeing the result. You're not seeing the, the cause of the illness. The yeah. cause of the illness is the devaluing of the paper money. It's, it's, not, that the, it's not that corn costs more to, to grow or whatever. It's, that the, it's the illusion of the value of the money that's the problem. Yeah, the other nasty part of it is is that because nobody – not nobody, but because people don't have a good education in economics, when they see prices going up, they blame the retailer. And so it creates, it creates an opportunity for regulators to come in and pass a bunch of laws to regulate the retailer. So the public, the public gets it wrong as what they think the cause is, and that allows them to sort of give more power to the people who caused the problem – to cause more problems. So it's this like vicious circle. So we can easily see how something like this could happen in the housing market. Uh, we saw what happened in 2008. If uh, in the right kind of an emergency, um, you know, excuses could be used to implement something, maybe not the trillion dollar coin, but something just as goofy. And, um, and, and then the government's answer to whatever problem it created could easily be something like that, uh, the the bureau that you described. Mm-hmm. Well, in, our, in the film, the Federal Reserve essentially has an enforcement wing. They become kind of like the new, the new. I mean, it's 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 not a coincidence that the Department of Housing Stability is DHS, right? They're they're sort of blurring the lines between the central planners and Homeland Security, so. Yeah, I mean, that's really the only way. I mean, centrally planned economies always turn into totalitarian systems, so that's kind of what we're exemplifying in the film. And we are moving, we are currently a, a central planned economy in the sense that, uh, you know, the uh, control of the money supply 
is centrally uh, is centrally controlled by the Federal Reserve. So we already have a socialist system to begin with. It's it's not complete in the sense that we don't have totalitarianism, but we do have a socialist system. And so what we're looking at is the next logical step that now they have to enforce it even stronger and eliminate any competition that might be floating around out there. Yeah, and they do. I mean, they accused the Liberty Dollar founder, Bernard von Nauthaus, of domestic terrorism. All he was doing was minting silver rounds. Yeah, and um, and he's doing hard time. I can't remember what he's looking at out of that, but uh, but he's in a bad situation. Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, now you mentioned that you had uh, done some stuff for um, for the dime card guys. Uh-huh. Uh, tell tell the listeners about that. Okay, um, so don't tread on meme is purveyors of uh, silver dimes because before I think 1964, U.S. dimes were made of silver. So if you have them, uh, they're worth a lot more than ten cents. They're worth about three dollars, maybe three fifty right now. And so what they do is they take them out of circulation and they laminate them into sort of wallet-sized trade cards that have an explanation of what they are, what they are, and what they're worth. And they often have a lot of like cool Liberty-themed graphics on them and stuff like that. And people use them for promotions too. Like um, Freedom Fiends has their own sort of custom dime cards. And So I do a lot of that graphics. I do a lot of the art setup for their cards. And then I send them over to Phoenix where Drew does the sort of manufacturing. And people use them for currency. You'll see it when you're at Liberty Forum. Like if you go into the dealer's room at Liberty Forum, you're going to see people using Shire Silver. You're going to see people using Silver Circles. You're going to see Don't Tread on Me. You're going to see people with their smartphones using Bitcoins as money. Like it's 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 a free market as free as I've ever seen. Uh, didn't you design the one, the, uh, the, uh, dime cards for the freedom fiends? I did the setup. I didn't do the photography. So they, they gave I, me the design that they wanted and I just made sure it fit the template. Ah, I see. So what do you have going on, uh, other than the silver circle? What are we looking at for the future? Um, well, I recently went kind of full time freelance and so I'm sort of just, uh, you know, I have some freelance clients. I'm setting up my own sort of products and services and I'm uh, self-employed at this point. So, you know, um, my website is muslimagris.com. That'll have links to all the places that I write and all the projects that I work on. Um, my biggest success has been uh, shinybadges.com, which is just sort of little embossed lapel pens with some sort of anarchist, voluntarist themes to them. But yeah, I'm all over the place. I have a book coming out. I just... Um, I have a book that's coming out for Liberty Forum called Voluntary Islam. That's the blurb that you wrote is the back cover of that. And that's an anthology of all my articles over the last like three or four years, sort of organized into categories. And I talk about Islam and I talk about politics and I talk about the Tea Party and the Occupy movement. And, you know, so uh, I'm looking at going into writing, I think. I'm going to try and write a couple more books I'm working on. You also work with our friend Will Coley over at Muslims for Liberty. I, I've read a lot of your stuff over there as well. Yeah, Will and I met up. I interviewed him for an article, must be a couple of years ago. And then I got involved with his organization, and we've signed on a bunch of new people. And so now we've kind of got this network of libertarian Muslims all over the country, which has been really cool. So we're starting to do YouTube videos and radio interviews and, you know— 
we might have a meetup here pretty soon. I when I had Will on the podcast, uh, he and I talked about Sharia law and the misunderstandings involving Sharia law that that are so predominant in uh, in the West. And um, just the and I thought, okay, now that's covered. You know, everybody understands that Sharia law is not something that is to be enforced on everybody in the world against their will by a by you know a, a top down from a government that's not the purpose of sharia law and that's not even really what sharia law is um just just like the word uh jihad it's used as almost like a brand name to scare people with but uh then i was on facebook the other day and uh somebody you just used the word sharia law as like a hammer to say, see, that's why we can't trust the dirty Muslims. Um, can, <laughs> okay. I, can I get a sane comment from you about that? Well, it's a, that's a really nuanced subject because you have two people who are misconstruing these things. You have your sort of anti-Muslim demagogues who try to sort of overblow the amount of threat that exists so that they can justify their foreign policy or they can justify their you know, invasions of people's privacy and things like that. So you have your Muslim haters that want to distort what Islam is and what Muslims believe. But then you also have a lot of Muslims that don't really understand their religion or or have these sort of crazy ideas about it. So you, you can always find some, like, radical Muslim cleric from Saudi Arabia saying crazy things. And so it gets difficult for the layman to, to parse it out, right? But, yeah, I, I don't think I, – I, I side on the idea that um, – the Sharia law is legitimized by um, a thing called bayah, which means that you've explicitly consented to uh, your leader. And if you look um, at the life of Muhammad, there were people in his city that didn't view him as a leader. And they had their own court system and they had their own legal system and they had, you know, it was a polycentric society. It didn't really have a state the way we think of it now. I can kind of imagine a scenario where someone is describing the West to someone, say, off in uh, the Middle East somewhere who really doesn't have a lot of contact with the West. And they say, yeah, this is what Christianity is like. They have this thing they call law where, um, you know, where the government decides that something like a plant is against the law or the government decides to uh, define what marriage is or the government decides that you must send your children to a to an approved school and uh and that's and that's christianity and and of course most christians would say um that's not what christianity is and that's not what you know biblical law is not like that and you have a distorted version but that's kind of what people in the west are doing when they look at a country like saudi arabia and they say, see, that's what Muslims are like, that's what Sharia law is like, and that's what Islam is like. Because, uh, like Will and I have talked about, Saudi Arabia is no more uh, an example of, a, of an Islamic nation, if you can even put those words together legitimately, uh, than if you look at the United States and say that everything that the United States government does is biblical. I mean, I mean, it's 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 that bizarre uh, if you really look at it. Sure, I mean, it's not even consistent. There are there are so many Muslim countries. Like, I don't I don't like calling them Muslim countries because I don't feel like the plot of land is necessarily subscribing to a religion. I call them Muslim majority countries, but they're all they're all completely diverse. 
Like, if you go to the Philippines, the culture is going to be radically different than if you go to, more, you know, West Africa. So to say that these, like, cultural things that people witness are in, in, inherent to the religion or a requirement of the religion when it's not even a normative practice from one country to another has always struck me as really strange. At this point in the recording, after suffering several disconnections, we decided to break for a, a moment. So we'll drop in a commercial break here, and we'll come right back with more of the interview with Davi Barker. Would you like to do something to support BadQuaker.com? Here's how easy it is. If you're already going to buy something from Amazon, go to BadQuaker.com first. Click on any of the buttons for Amazon. Once at Amazon, shop like you normally would. You'll pay the same price for the things you buy from Amazon, but Amazon will give BadQuaker.com a tiny portion of that purchase. It's amazingly easy to shop at Amazon, it won't cost you any extra, and you'll be supporting BadQuaker.com. Thank you. Uh, let's let's talk since since time is going to be of the essence here in trying to get this thing recorded through Skype. Let's uh, talk more about the movie because I think this is really something that people need to get behind and watch it. And uh, if it comes to a theater near them, they need to watch for it and get out there and watch it. And and I'm not saying that because you know, hey, let's get money to Davi. Uh, that's not my purpose in saying that. It's because the more people in the liberty movement that go out and watch this movie, the more attention it's going to grab and the more other people are going to want to go and see it just to find out what it's about. Sure. Well, what we're really trying to do as far as support from the liberty community is uh, we're forming these sort of groups around the country called Rebel Crews. And they're sort of like are like boots on the ground so that when we come to do a screening, we can host like a sine wave at a Federal Reserve Bank or we can host like a bullhorning event or, or we have people that we've already organized to sort of be our, our like core group of supporters. And we're sort of coming up with some merchandise that's going to be just for the Rebel Crew members and stuff like that. So we're really trying to branch out of just being a movie and really sort of generate a kind of cultural phenomenon of activists who understand what the film's about and what it's and, and are in support of sort of educating people about the Federal Reserve. So um, they, you don't need to just sort of like listen. You can go and subscribe for updates. If you go to um, silvercirclemovie.com slash rebelcrew, then you can sort of tell us where you are and we'll let you know like when there's groups in that, when there's a group forming in your area. And so we're being really proactive about getting, um, getting sort of a, a social sort of organization together before the, the screening. And uh, you guys have a Facebook presence as well. Yeah. So it's just Facebook slash silver circle movie, but also each rebel crew has have uh, Facebook pages now too. So you can, if you just search for, like Rebel Crew New York or Rebel Crew Phoenix or Rebel Crew Los Angeles. Like, I think there's six or seven of them now. And we're not even opposed to people starting their own. Like, if people can put together a group and convince us to show, show us that there's support in that city, we'll go and put in the, the time to figure out how to get a screening in that city, you know? I know we have listeners to this podcast in Atlanta and I know in Memphis and I know in Cincinnati and in, in some of the lesser cities. Well, I shouldn't say lesser, but they're but they're not the L.A.'s and the New York's. Um, yeah. So if they can get together and form a group, then then you guys will throw them some attention. 
Yeah, absolutely. The only reason to start in New York and Los Angeles is because that's when you get your sort of media attention. Uh, but we're, we're doing smaller cities, too. It's just that we're starting. We're trying to make waves right at the beginning so that there's a kind of resonance to keep the ball rolling, you know? Yeah, and and it helps, you know, uh, local like local newspaper people and local TV people, they they look for this kind of activity, and uh, you know uh, they like to jump on it and give any attention possible to it. Um, okay. So I'm recording I'm recording again, and uh, I don't know how much this podcast is going to actually get on the air, but we're going to do our best to get as much. Ah, it just went red again, rats. Okay, and so we're going to try to get as much as possible. Where are you? <laughs> uh, it's back to red again, so I'll hold my answer just for a second. Um, I don't know if it got picked up on on the recording or not, but Davi just asked me where I am, and I'm in a campground in southern Alabama on the Gulf Coast, and uh and at times I have a really good internet connection here, and then all of a sudden it'll just drop out momentarily, and that's why Skype is having such a hard time uh, recording us. Hmm. So, uh, Davi, we should probably uh, get as much information in as as quickly as possible so that the folks can hear uh, as much as they can about Silver Circle and and why they should uh, get over the website and be a part of the of the Rebel groups. Uh, lost it again. <laughs> Wow. Okay, how about now? How about now? I think for you. Okay. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Let's give it one more try, and uh, we might have to, you know, I might have to switch campgrounds and connect back with you like Monday or something. Okay. And and just tie the two conversations together and edit them as one. And uh, I won't try to deceive anybody or anything, but uh, but at least maybe we can put it together. Sure. Okay, so uh, we were talking about uh, the rebel groups in different cities. And tell us again what, what website they can go to to hook up with that. Uh, if you go to silvercirclemovie.com slash rebelcrew, you'll, you can subscribe and we'll see you alert when there's group activities in your area. But also, if you just go and search for, like, Rebel Crew New York or Rebel Crew wherever, there's a lot of groups that already exist, and we're, we're calling them Rebel Crews, like C-R-E-W. And that's sort of like our, our core uh, group of activists to help us with the events, the promotional events we're going to be hosting. But the, I think the most urgent thing is to buy your ticket for the Liberty Forum uh, screening because, I mean, the tickets just went on sale this week, and they were about half sold out yesterday. So if you go to um, either you can register through Liberty Forum at Liberty for, or at uh, freestateproject.org or you can uh, get a ticket at Silver Circle Movie slash events. And the ticket's, I think, $15 and that's paying for transportation and food. And it's a it's a dinner theater. So we're going to be serving some hors d'oeuvres. And um, some of that movie goes to the Liberty Forum, too. And if all goes as planned, I'll be there. So any of my listeners who can get to the Liberty Forum, uh, it'd be a good idea to uh, to get over there and get some tickets reserved. They are going pretty fast. And uh, maybe, you know, uh, I'm not going to be in any hurry or anything when I'm there. So you can maybe see Davi. You can maybe see me. And some of the other people that I know are going are, are uh, other people with um, podcasts and so forth, too. 
Yeah. I mean, a lot of people actually broadcast from the Liberty Forum. They, they set up a studio and people run their podcasts right out of the hotel. That's our plan to do that, actually. Uh, we had hoped to do that from Porkfest, but the connection is so bad at Porkfest that it's even worse than the one that we're experiencing right here, right now. Yeah. Were you at the last Porkfest? No, I went to Liberty Forum last year, but I didn't make it to Porkfest because I was out. That was uh, right around the time that I went on Hodge. Oh, that's right. Uh, are you planning on going to the 2013 Porkfest? Absolutely. That'll be well, I hope too. I'm excited about it. You know what? I meant to ask you about this anyway, since the moments that we have a good connection here. Um, describe to me the 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 wonders of going through the different government gates to get to Mecca this year or last year. I'm sorry. I mean, you start with the TSA. The TSA is essentially a sexual molestation. So I will go through the radioactive boxes, the naked body scanner. So I have to let somebody, you know, cup me. <laughs> so there's that. Um, getting through the Saudi bureaucracy is kind of crazy. Uh, like you have to, it's mostly you just have to sign some forms and things, but there's some vaccinations and there's, but there's also like random searches along the way. Like they'll just stop you and want to go through your bag. And like, they wouldn't let me in a mosque because I had a, um, I had a plug adapter, and they said that that was a fire hazard. <laughs> so there's stuff that. <laughs> well, at least it wasn't the U.S. The TSA would probably say it was a bomb. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, they had uh, they wanted you to sign some ridiculous proclamations and and uh, uh, <laughs> some things basically that I think any Quaker would have uh, probably handled it the same way you did. It uh, kind of amused me hearing your story about that. Yeah, they wanted me, the visa application asks you to sign a statement that says, I hereby agree to abide by all the laws and regulations of the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. And so I wrote to them and I said, give me a copy of all of the laws and regulations of the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, because I'm not going to sign an agreement I can't read. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and their response was, of course, not to send them to you, right? No, there is no such document. In fact, in Saudi Arabia, a lot of laws are just not written down. Um, it's essentially a judge is sort of free to interpret whatever he thinks is right. And there's it's 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 mostly customs like traffic laws are not written down there. A lot of the um, the wardrobe stuff is not written down. It's it, it, there, there, there's no there's no like legitimate legal system going on. What they did, what I, they do have is they have a document published on the embassy's website that's uh, that's called like the basics of law, and it's sort of broken down like a constitution where it's in about 32 different articles describing the um, the sort of intent of law in Saudi Arabia. But one of them was like they're they're just as ridiculous. Like one of them was all wealth in the country, whether in the ground or in the air, belongs to the king. <laughs> so they want Wonderful. To, so they want me to essentially sign a document saying I don't own anything. <laughs> Amazing. So yeah, you know, I signed I signed under duress. I think that was what you were saying. Is that what a Quaker would do? Yeah. Um you actually signed those words. You didn't write your name on it, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, that, that's the kind of, uh, uh, we might even call it an underhanded uh, way of dealing with uh, oppressive magistrates. Rather than directly confronting them and getting yourself beaten or something like that or thrown into a foreign jail, um, uh, sometimes it's, it's just safer to, um, you know, pretend to comply but not comply. Yeah. I thought about doing that, about um, attaching an affidavit to my application, explaining exactly why I wouldn't sign it, because I do that with a lot of my with my um, a lot of my U.S. paperwork. I'll I'll sign I'll I'll attach a document saying I don't understand what these words mean, and so I can't sign it, or whatever. But um, I felt like there was a higher risk of them denying the application, whereas in the U.S. at least I'm I'm in my own country and they can't deport me, you know. Uh, if in the moments that we have with a good connection, um, explain to me what, because I think a lot of people in the West are a little bit confused about this topic as well. Explain to me why it's important to attempt at some point in time, if you can, to go to Mecca. Uh, well, it's the it's the fifth pillar of Islam. There's there's five pillars that are sort of the sort of like. Um, they're sort of like sacraments in Catholicism. They're like the, the sort of core central practice and their um, the testimony of faith, the prayer, uh, fasting, charity, and pilgrimage. And so pilgrimage is to travel to Mecca and to see um, the Kaaba, which is the black cube in the center with, that is the direction of prayer for Muslims. And it's, uh, it's because it's for two reasons. One is, is because it was uh, the practice of Muhammad in his lifetime, uh, but also his practice was an emulation of Abraham and Abraham's pilgrimage to the Kaaba. And so there's sort of disagreement about the sources. Some people say that the Kaaba was originally a temple built by Abraham and others claim that it was a temple built by Adam, but I find that a little harder to substantiate. Um, but so it, the idea is that it's sort of like... Um, it's sort of like the axis mundi in a lot of mystic traditions where there's this sort of point or center or navel of the world where the divine and the mundane sort of touch. So, yeah, I mean, it's supposed to be sort of an outward and an inward journey at the same time. So it's not really all that much different than what someone maybe who is believes in mysticism might think of as a, you know, like a, a trip to Taos, Mexico, uh, New Mexico, or possibly a, a person who wants to go to like the, um, uh, you know, like the temple mound in Jerusalem or perhaps, uh, you know, one of the supposed birth sites of Jesus. I think there's several of those, but, um, uh, it's, and it's certainly at least, I mean, from a purely skeptical point of view, it's surely at least as legitimate as the, any, any, however many birth sites and, and so forth that there are for Jesus. Um, I don't know, I'm, I'm not trying to pick a, a religious argument with any of my listeners, but, uh, you know, to say one site, uh, is the birth site of Jesus and then, Right across the street, they've got a neon sign with another one. You know, it's kind of, I don't know, I, I kind of have a little bit of an attitude about that. But but it's at least that legitimate, I, w I would say. Yeah, well, Muhammad was alive sort of within the period of written history. So there's not a lot of, I don't think there's any dispute as to where he was born or where he lived or or any of that. There's sort of maybe dispute about some of the, the finer details. 
because there's multiple accounts by different people. But yeah, I mean, it's it's not it's it's essentially the same. I mean, I think most religions have some sense of a pilgrimage as a journey, right? Even even like a walkabout, you know, a sort of Aboriginal culture would be similar. Did I lose you? Yeah, just for a second there, and I think we're gonna. I think we're back. But I, I heard the the last thing I heard you talking about was a walkabout. Did you say anything after that? No. Okay, good. Okay, we're still on the same on the same track here. I think this is the first time you and I have ever talked sort of in real time, huh? Yeah, it is. We've chatted, you know, uh, email and YouTube. I mean, uh, not YouTube, uh, Facebook, and that kind of thing. But, uh, hey, you know what? I should compliment you on your beard. Is your picture in Skype current? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I do have a beard. <laughs> uh, do you trim or uh, is it uh, natural? Uh, no, it's natural. I, I trim my cheeks because my wife likes that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if we're going to a formal thing, I'll sort of get out the like wall hair trimmer and cut it down to maybe an inch just so that it looks nice in wedding photos. That's mostly for my wife. I'd let it grow wild if I could. Well, you, well, from the picture I'm looking at, you certainly have a good a good beard, and and I think that's important. Uh, you know, <laughs> my my wife just laughed in the background, but uh, it, for me, a beard is a symbol of freedom. And there have been many times when, uh, due to employment pressures, I couldn't grow a beard. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I can now, and I feel. Uh, a real level of liberty in being able to just, uh, uh, you know, uh, let my face do its natural thing and not try to restrict it based on someone else's opinion of me. Yeah. I, um, I don't think I've ever had to trim my beard for a job because I'm, I mean, I work in graphic design, so I'm usually in the back room. It's not usually, you know, those guys can sort of let, let it go for, for a while more so than I do. But, um, it's funny that the beard is one of the things that the anti-Muslim crowd sort of attaches to, and they, they sort of um, they act like growing a beard makes you a radical <laughs> sometimes. Well, there may be some truth in it because it, it really does set you apart from the rest of society. You know, I, I get some really strange looks sometimes, uh, especially I have I have full cranial, uh, you know, terminal length cranial hair also. Yeah, and. Uh, when I don't put it up in a ponytail, when I just let it do its thing, uh, it, it's, you know, it's kind of our uh, gargoyling, uh, maybe. <laughs> I mean, there's something about it. It seems like a lot of the sort of prominent intellectuals throughout history have had very bushy beards. That's true. Uh, the, the, the rebels in society. Yeah. So maybe the stereotyping has some, some background. <laughs> I don't know. I, I haven't said this on the podcast in a long time, but I've had situations where children have been separated from their parents in a grocery store, mm-hmm. and uh, and they just come right up to me. At one point, a little girl walked right past my wife, came up and took me by the hand, and said, "I lost my mommy." Um, <laughs> you know, because they, I think, deep down inside the human uh, experience. 
there is something connecting little that little children can remember somewhere in their in their human nature not necessarily it doesn't have to be mystical or anything but but the same way a, a goose knows which direction to fly when it gets cold yeah i think l- little kids understand who the silverback is and who the where the authority and the age and the wisdom and and a a, a bearded face i think is an aspect of that yeah there's um this is uh, something I it's sort of a central part of my religious understanding of liberty, but I don't really discuss it a lot because it's um, it's not it's not accessible across religious lines. But there's a concept in Islam uh, called fitra, F-I-T-R-A, and it means um, the sort of natural disposition or the, the original virtue that, that human beings are born with, especially children exhibit it. And a lot of the, um, the tendencies in Islam are about preserving that, and growing the beard is one of them. And so, yeah, I mean, absolutely, I could believe that a child would, would having a sort of, not being in a more natural state than most adults, a child would pick up on adults who were also in a very natural state, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think so. I, I think... I think um, it, it's the opposite of original sin. Islam doesn't have original sin. So in a way, you, you could think of children as more pure. Yeah, not, not being polluted by the all the noise that culture brings in on, on kids. Uh-huh. I really like Stefan Molyneux's quote, culture is scar tissue. Yeah, I, I, I like that. Um, well, Davi, uh, I think while we have a decent connection, we should probably make uh, one more time. Let's mention websites and make a decent ending to this before Skype cuts us off and, and I have to make up something and tape it on the end. So, uh, again, we've got uh, silvercirclemovie.com. And sil- Uh-oh. Yep. It did. One, two, three, four. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Yep. Okay, so yeah, we are going to lose this pretty quick. So, okay, so we've got we've got Silver Circle, uh, Silver Circle. Is it Silver Circle the movie or Silver Circle movie? SilverCircleMovie.com. And uh, also, you can look up Silver Circle on Facebook, and you can get over to Muslims for Liberty. And what was the other MuslimsForLiberty.org. And what was the other uh, website that you mentioned? If you go to um Actually, just go to DaviBarker.com. That'll bring you to my homepage, and then all of the projects I'm working on are on the left side of the page. And that'll give you Muslims for Liberty and Don't Tread on Meme and Silver Circle and everything. And I'll put a link to bad, on BadQuaker.com to uh, as many of those as I can remember and to DaviBarker.com. That's D-A-V-I-B-A-R-K-E-R.com. And uh, Davi, is there anything else you want to tell the listeners before we uh, before we break this off? Um, not in particular. I'm hoping to see a lot of, um, hoping to see you and a lot of your listeners at Liberty Forum. I think it's going to be a, a good time. And uh, I just love the show. I really enjoy what you're doing. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. And I, w- I really want to thank you for coming on the show. I, I was uh, uh, absolutely serious when I said it was an honor to have you on the show. I really appreciate your work. And and your art, I, I really, you know, even when I just hold that uh, um, shire uh, silver piece of gold in my hand and look at it, it really means a lot to me. And I, I appreciate your work that you're doing. And thanks a ton for coming on the show with me, Dobby. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for and having folks, 
And folks, be sure and get over to badquaker.com, where liberty is our mission. Thank you very much for listening today.